same chapter as uh, last week, Matthew chapter 13. to read from verse 31 together. So Matthew 13, verse 31, it's page 980 in your pew Bibles. Matthew 13, 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Amen. Father, we ask that in the uh, the weakness of my words, the, the strength and the authority of your voice would be heard that voice which comes to us from the the Father of love. We ask, Father, that we would be eager to hear all that you would say to us and eager to respond to that word, Father, in a way which brings joy to your heart and honor to your name. So, Father, still and quieten our hearts that we might hear from you and that we might be made more into the image and likeness of the Lord whom we love, the Lord who first loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God's people, when they had returned from exile in Babylon back home to Jerusalem, eventually got round to rebuilding the temple of God. There were many dangers that they faced in that work, but the greatest danger actually was not from out with themselves. It wasn't those who had inhabited the land and who were against them and against the rebuilding of of the temple. No, the greatest danger that they faced was internal the greatest danger that they faced was discouragement. The old temple seemed so big and so strong and so magnificent. How could they possibly begin to build something like that again? They laid the foundations and then you have this incredible seen where the the younger ones who don't remember the first temple, they're looking at the foundations and they're making a lot of noise as they rejoice and as they praise God for the work that He is doing. They're excited 
at the prospect of this temple which has begun to be built. But the older men who are there, they're making a noise as well, but they're looking at the foundations of this new temple and remembering how big the old temple was. The new foundations are much smaller. So the noise that they make is not a noise of joy and of praise. No, they they are weeping and they are wailing because what they see is so small compared to what they remembered from before the exile in Babylon. And so God uses his prophets to encourage them to press on, to keep working, trusting that God would bless their efforts as small as they seemed to them. Haggai says, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? But now be strong. Be strong and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And Zechariah says famously, do not despise the day of small things. Or in the words of the New Living Translation, do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. From these very small, humble beginnings, God would build something great and glorious, more glorious than the first temple all those years ago. And that's often been the way that God has been pleased to work and the the way that God is pleased to work. He is pleased to take things which seem so small and so frail and so fragile and so insignificant to us. He takes them and He uses them to build and to bless and to become something great and glorious and beautiful. Something which will display the greatness of His power and the majesty of His love to all who have eyes to see. You'll remember that we are in a small series on the kingdom of heaven, and last week we looked at the parable of the wheat and the weeds, so the wheat and the tares, uh, they, they, they grow together, they share the same land, they draw sustenance from the same soil, they look very similar until the time that they bear fruit, until the time that you can see the, the, the heads, and then you can tell which are weeds and which is wheat. But they grow together, they're allowed to grow together until the time of harvest. They're cut down and then they're separated. The, the weeds are bundled to be burned and the wheat is gathered to be taken to the farmer's barn. And Jesus says, as, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. 
They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. This week, we're in the same chapter of Matthew's gospel, a chapter that is filled with parables from the lips of the Lord. And uh, we're looking at two of those parables, very, very short parables. The first of those is just two verses long. The kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his fields. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. We are, again, as I said in the children's talk, I believe officially now in spring, and we are perhaps beginning to think about Easter. And one of the things that uh, we used to always do in the church that I was brought up in uh, around this time of year was to, to take an egg or to be given an egg that had the head cut off of it, and there was no egg, it was just the, the shell. And we were to do four things with this decapitated egg shell. Uh, the first of those things was we were to draw a face on it. The second was that we were to pinch some seeds, not to steal them, uh, but to, to pinch them, some small seeds, and uh, to sprinkle them inside the eggshell. Inside the eggshell was some cotton wool. We sprinkled these seeds that we had pinched on the cotton wool. And then uh, the third task that we had was to wet the wool slightly, to wet it slightly. And the final task was to take our eggshell home. And uh, I remember those wee seeds that we pinched and sprinkled on the cotton wool and the eggshell, they were tiny and they were black. They looked utterly unremarkable. Uh, cress seeds. And when we followed the instructions, we found that in a few days, from these wee black dots, these wee unremarkable black specks, came something wonderful. Uh, from these wee black dots came life and color as the cress began to grow. And before long, the wee person that we had drawn on the egg was no longer bald. He had a lovely head of green hair. And not only that, but in time, after we'd um, been really impressed by our wee man with his green hair, we could actually lift the cress out and eat it. It was the only time that we enjoyed eating our greens because we knew that we had planted them and we had a sense of pride and achievement. It was amazing. Well, the mustard seeds, which would have been familiar to the uh, first hearers of Jesus' parable, they, those seeds were a bit like that, a bit like those crest seeds. They were tiny. They, they were ugly. But when put in the ground from them, 
would come trees that could grow to be 12 foot tall. And just as Jesus says, they could provide shelter and shade for the birds. We've been in the Old Testament already this morning. Do not despise the day of small things. It's amazing how often Jesus alludes to Old Testament passages in his teaching. And the first hearers would have would have been aware of those, or should have been aware, of those passages that he was alluding to all the time in his teaching. And I believe that as he shared this parable, their minds and our minds should go back to passages like Ezekiel 31. Ezekiel 31, the prophet speaks of the great superpower of uh, Assyria in, in very poetic language. He says, the great tree, that's Assyria, the great tree towered high, higher than all the other trees around it. It prospered and grew long, thick branches because of all the water at its roots. The birds nested in its branches and in its shade all the wild animals gave birth. All the great nations of the world lived in its shadow. It was strong and beautiful with wide-spreading branches, for its roots went deep into abundant water. Amen. The great, vibrant, thriving, strong empire of Assyria painted with the poetry of the prophets. But do you notice the tense with which he speaks? It's all past tense, because by the time these words are spoken, this great empire of Assyria has already fallen. It's no longer there. And these words were spoken as a warning to Egypt, which wanted to become the new superpower of the day. That it too, as strong as it was beginning to look, it too would one day fall. And we could say the same of all of the great empires of history, couldn't we? They had their moments where they looked great and glorious. They had their moment of strength and splendor. They seemed invincible to some, but in time, inevitably, they crumbled and fell. That was true of uh, Assyria, Babylon, of Egypt. It would be true of Rome, which was so strong at the time that Jesus uh, told this parable. All these great empires end, all these great kingdoms fall with the exception of the kingdom that Christ Jesus speaks of in this parable, with the exception of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore.
Think for a moment about how small and how insignificant this kingdom must have seemed at the beginning. Think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is born as a baby with all of the fragility of a baby in Bethlehem, in a small town, in a small nation, in a small region uh, in the Roman Empire of the day. Jesus is born, and then the family have to flee to Egypt for fear that he will be found and killed after the edict of Herod. How vulnerable, how fragile it all seems. And eventually he gets back to the hometown, he gets back to Nazareth, and he, he grows up in that place. You'll remember from the children's talk last week, those of you who have spoken to Jason will, will know that Nazareth was not a big town. He didn't live in a great big palace, in a great big metropolis. No, he lived in a very, very ordinary home in a very small town. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So small, so unremarkable. You think of the life that Jesus lived as his ministry started, moving from town to town. Son of man has no place to lay his head. And then you think of the death that he died on the cross. There wasn't much that, that Rome and that the Jewish people shared in common. But both of them saw the cross as a place of shame. It was a place where things ended, not where things began. It was a, a place of humiliation. Think of the life that Jesus lived and the death that Jesus died. It all seems so small and so insignificant. And yet from this seed comes a kingdom that will last forever. From this seed comes life in all of its fullness and life eternal. Up from the grave, he rose. He was raised to life. He was raised in time to take his place at his Father's right hand and to be given the name that is above every name. The early church itself didn't seem that impressive either. Their aim, says Celsus, a Roman uh, philosopher, their aim is to convince only worthless and contemptible people, idiots, slaves, poor women, and children, these are the only ones whom they manage to turn into believers. The assumption is that this little Jewish sect will be snuffed out in due course. 
how amazed Celsus would be were he to be transported forward 2,000 years and to be given a seat uh, here in Airdrie Baptist Church today. How amazed he would be that this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is still worshipped and adored today, that his kingdom continues to take new ground, to grow, that the family of God stretches around the world. And we should remember, uh, as we think about that mustard seed, as we think about the kingdom to which we belong, which began in such inauspicious uh, beginnings. We should remember that when we feel in this country that the church is struggling, that the church is dwindling, that the beliefs to which we hold are becoming more unfamiliar and more unpopular and more unwelcome, we should remember that we are actually part of something that is growing, that is becoming stronger all the time. Christ promised to build and to bless His church, and He will. He is. I try very hard not to quote statistics in in sermons. I don't really like statistics, but I'm going to allow myself an exception today. Did you know that in 1900, there were about 10 million Christians in Africa? By 2000, there were 360 million. And the most conservative estimates see that by the year 2025, there will be around 633 million Christians in that continent. And there are many other countries, many other regions where we see that kind of growth. More and more people coming to recognize the rightness and the goodness of the reign of King Jesus. More and more people coming into the kingdom of heaven through faith in Christ. Jesus Christ may have looked small and insignificant like a little mustard seed to many 2,000 years ago, crushed with ease by the might of Rome, but He is King over a kingdom which continues to grow all these years later, the only kingdom that will never fall. And so, we have no need to fear, no need to be discouraged no need to despise the day of small things because the Lord is with us and He is faithful both to His people and to His promises. No matter how small we might feel, how outnumbered, how insignificant, He is with us. And so we need not fear. We are part of something great and glorious and eternal and of great worth and significance. We are in Christ Jesus on the winning side. So take heart and never despise the day of small things. God loves to take that which seems small and weak and insignificant and even ugly in the eyes of the world and to use these things in wonderful ways for the glory of His name 
and for the joy of his people. Here endeth the first parable. There is one more parable, one more verse, and I want to look at it just briefly by way of conclusion. It's related to the first. It's verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, we are given to thinking of yeast or leaven, as it's sometimes called in some translations in the Bible, as being a very negative thing. So, we think of the Lord Jesus warning His people to beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Or we think of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He writes to tell the church in Corinth to remove a man from their midst, from their membership, because this man is living in, in sexual sin. And he says to them, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So, we, we think about yeast, we think about leaven in negative terms. It's a bad thing that works its way through a whole batch. Well, Jesus here in Matthew 13 is taking exactly the same imagery of the yeast or the leaven working its way through, as small as it is, working its way through the whole batch of dough. But in this passage, in this parable, the yeast is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So, picture someone who comes to faith in Christ, or think about yourself when you came to faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit then dwells within you and works within you to make you more like Jesus, to fill you with the fruit of the Spirit. But it's not easy, is it? And it's not instantaneous. You don't suddenly live this life free uh, from all sin, full of joy and peace and patience and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a battle, isn't it? It's warfare. It's slow and it's clumsy, and sometimes you feel you take a few steps forward only to take some more steps back, and it can be so easy to become discouraged. But the Lord Jesus assures us that if our faith in Him is real, then we have nothing to fear. The yeast will inevitably, eventually, work its way through the full batch of dough. It might be very clumsy, it might be very painful, it might be very slow, but in time, we will learn to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ in every area and every aspect of our lives. Nothing will be left untouched, unchanged by Him. The Lord Jesus assures us that step by step, day by day, we will grow in grace. We will grow in Christ-likeness. We will grow in sanctification. That good yeast will work its way through the whole batch of dough. And we ought to remember that even in those moments, especially in those moments when we find ourselves saying with Paul, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, 
I do. This I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Even when we get discouraged by the areas of our hearts and our minds and our lives that seem untouched by the grace of our God, by the areas of our lives which don't seem to acknowledge the the lordship, or we might say the kingship of Jesus, we need to remember that He is working. We need to not despair, not give in, not walk away. Jesus says the yeast will work its way through all of the dough in the end. We trust in that and we get back to work for Him. We will grow in grace. We will grow in Christ-likeness. We will grow in freedom as we look forward to the day when we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. God is still working in and through that which seems small and weak and fragile to build something great and glorious and beautiful and strong and lasting. So take heart and don't be discouraged and never despise the day of small things. Be strong and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Amen.